morning, faith family. It's great to see you. If you have a Bible, go to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. That's going to be our text this morning. We are uh, continuing a series we started last week called The Runaway. And uh, this is heavy stuff. We're dealing with the essence of the gospel, the, the greatest news in all the world, but we're looking at it from uh, a narrative in the Old Testament, a, a story that often we hear as children, but yet we are taking a much closer and deeper look at the true meaning of what God is teaching us through this wonderful book. So let's look back here at Jonah chapter 1. This morning, if you're able to stand, please do so, as we want to honor the reading of God's Word. And look with me here in Jonah chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask you now to come and to speak to us. And Oh, Spirit, come. Help us feel the weight of this. And, and Lord, I think my prayer is just to say, um, we want to receive you by faith as you have revealed yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you be seated, please? The town was Midland, Texas. Her name, Jessica McClure. She was an 18-month-old little girl. She went over to her aunt's house, and she was playing in the backyard, and she came across this old abandoned little water shaft, this well. She sat down on the ground and she was dangling her legs in the hole. Her mom had gone back inside for just a quick moment to answer the phone and when she came back out, Jessica was gone. She had fallen 22 feet below the ground. For the next 58 hours, her family and a whole, an entire team of medical and rescue personnel tried to save her. In fact, one of the men, in fact, the guy who was responsible for going down below to rescue her was a man by the name of Robert O'Donnell. They dug this hole that went parallel with the shaft, and they lowered Robert down, and he was able to dig across and reach out and finally gain physical contact with her, and he checked her vitals. She was still alive. As he reached for her again, she slipped deeper down and out of reach. They pulled Robert back up to the ground to figure out what the strategy would be, and the medical personnel that were there informed them she does not have much longer to live. So they lowered Robert back down one more time. He dug as far as he could, reaching out, was able to grab her, and he began to pull her towards him, and she started to scream in terror. 
and he paused. He didn't know what to do. And then he heard a voice back up on the ground say this, pull hard. You may have to break her to save her. And he pulled hard, breaking her toe, scraping her face, but saving her life. Have you ever been in a situation where showing love to someone meant bringing pain in their life? That family member that continually mismanages their money comes to you and asks for a bailout again, and this time you say no. That child is repeatedly disrespectful to authority, and you bring discipline into their life. That employee whose attitude is infecting the entire team, and so you initiate a conversation that you know will not go well. Sometimes you have to break somebody to save them. And that's exactly what's happening in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. God, in order to save Jonah, is going to break Jonah. You know from last week or the first three verses here that Jonah is a man on the run. He has been given a gracious invitation from God to be on mission with God, but he has rejected that. He is running in the opposite direction. He does not care what his rebellion will cost him because he's living with the lie that he can get away with it. And why is he running? Do you remember? Well, in part, it's because he hates Ninevites. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, is the enemy of Israel. But it's not just that. Jonah knows by now that God wants to show grace to Nineveh, and the only thing that, that Jonah hates more than Ninevites is a God who would be merciful to Ninevites. And so he's running because he hates the grace of God. And now the story shifts. Because do you see... It's, it's clear in Hebrew, but you see a little bit in our English translations. Notice how verse 3 starts. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Do you see that? But Jonah. How does verse 4 start? But the Lord hurled a great wind. Do you, do you see the shift in the text? We weren't looking at Jonah's response to God. Now we're going to look at God's response to Jonah. And let me just tell you what's going to happen. A sinful prophet is going to come face to face with a sovereign God. And he's going to learn two very important lessons in life. And there are two things that we must learn as well. And here's the first. It is the unmistakable sovereignty of God. The unmistakable sovereignty of God. Let's read verse 4 again. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I imagine at this point, Jonah thinks he's gotten away with it. 
He is, after all, you remember living with the lie that he can escape from the presence of the Lord. Have you ever had that feeling where you almost got away with it? You know, you let off the gas. Whew! <laughs> then you look in your rearview mirror and see blue lights following you. you when you were a teenager, or maybe when someone else was a teenager, you were a little past your curfew. And you were almost back into your room when you heard that voice, where have you been? Do you know that feeling? You almost got away with it. God is about to show Jonah. He hasn't gotten away with it. Because Jonah finds himself in the middle of a massive storm. The ship is about to break, verse 4. The mariners are scared to death, verse 5. They are crying out to any God who will listen. And then in verse 6, they awake Jonah because they think they're going to perish. It is a massive, terrifying storm. These people are running around the ship like Ricky Bobby. Help me, Tom Cruise. Help me, Oprah's God. Any, any God out there that will listen, these men are terrified for their life. And where did this storm come from? It just happened to be bad weather that day. This is Mother Nature rearing her ugly head. It's not what the text says. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Do you often think about God that way? You don't, do you? I mean, not my God. My, my God's a God of love. He's a God of love. He loves me. He comforts me in my storm, but he doesn't send my storm. Dear friends, if that's your view of God, your God's not the God of the Bible. Now, I'm going to push you this morning because I love you, and I've been there. And if you're here this morning and you're visiting, or maybe you're not even a Christian, I will say some things that will stretch your mind, but here's what you need to know about our faith family. We don't hide from hard texts because we're not here to play patty cake. We're going to be real, raw, and honest about God. God sins a storm. He is the originator of this. He hurls the great wind, and this is not just true in Jonah 1.4. We see this several other places in the Bible. Journey with me in your mind with these texts. Isaiah 45, 5-7. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. And here it is, I form light and create darkness I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Amos 3, 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city 
unless the Lord has done it? Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14. And the day of prosperity be joyful, and the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And I'm going to beat the dead horse one more time, because I don't want you to think I'm taking this from one little isolated scripture, Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Who has spoken and it come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Soak it in. Johnny Erickson taught a a name many of you are probably familiar with. Well-noted author, speaker. She became a quadriplegic at age 17 in a diving accident. And as she reflected on her life and that event in her life, this is what she said. These are her words. Quote, God engineered the circumstances. He used them to prove himself. Not everyone had this privilege. I felt there were only a few people God cared for in such a special way that he would trust them with this experience. I saw that my injury was not a tragedy, but a gift that God was using to help conform me to the image of Christ, something that would mean my ultimate satisfaction, happiness, and even joy. Right here. Whether you and I like it or not, God is a God who sends storms. Is that uncomfortable for you? It's okay. It can be uncomfortable. The reason why I know is because I remember when I was in college, coming across text like I just read and thinking, I can't worship a God like that. And here's what God said to me. Wes, I don't have to conform to you. I have revealed who I am. You can either believe or not believe. But you thought God was altogether like you? What a foolish idea that is. There comes a point, dear Christian, where you can, even, you can either fashion your own God and just call him Jesus, or you can believe in the true God revealed in Scripture, tension and all. God is a God who sends storms. And here's what I learned through that difficult time in college of of coming to grips with this, is that's actually wonderful news. And do you know why it's wonderful news? Because it means that no matter what storm I go through, God has a purpose. It wasn't random. God wasn't up there going, I didn't even know it was going to happen. I'm as shocked as you are. And then all of a sudden, I was able to join with Job and say, come on, come on. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And in both, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's deep Christianity. 
It's not shallow fluff that wants to hold God's hand on Sunday and then go out about the rest of our lives. It's people who want to swim in the ocean of God. We can say like Joseph, beaten by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, risen to a place of authority in Egypt, faces his brothers again and says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. William Cooper, who, well-known 1700s English poet and hymn writer, wrote a hymn called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And here's part of the lyrics in that song. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. For behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Do not quote Romans 8.28 to me if you do not believe God sends storms. All things to the good. Now, I want to make one caution because I don't, this is heavy stuff. I don't want you to misunderstand me or the text, so I need all ears, all eyes. I think they're here anyways, but if not, check in. <laughs> I am not saying that every storm in your life is a result of your sin. It is for Jonah. That is the context of this book. There are some times that storms and sufferings come in your life simply because you live in a fallen world and Christians are not exempt from cancer or automobile accidents or any kind of suffering. We live in a fallen world. It's part of the package because the creation is in birth pangs longing for a king who will rule it all. But in that, we also serve a sovereign God who sends storms. And we don't always know what he's doing. In fact, can I give you just one more little soapbox? This is for free. Uh, I can't stand it when Christian leaders see a tragedy, like a national tragedy, and say they know what God is doing. 9-11 or Katrina. God is judging America. How do you know? Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. The point is, can you trust him in the middle of it? So a prophet comes face to face with the unmistakable sovereignty of God in his life. How? In a storm. And here's the second thing he learns. Oh, it's going to get even gooder. Here we go. Oh, hold on, man. Not only the unmistakable sovereignty of God, but the undeserving grace of God. And here's your response. What? Did he just say grace? Clearly, I, I didn't hear him correct. Did you? Gra this isn't grace. Grace is soft and cuddly. Grace keeps you warm at night. Grace is something that is easy and comfortable. Well, that's why you need to redefine your understanding of grace. There are four reasons why this storm is actually grace in Jonah's life. 
And here they are, number one. And I'm taking them all from the context of the book. What is this storm for Jonah? It is, number one, a picture, a reality that God pursues runaways. And you say, where are you getting that from the text? I'll tell you. I kind of read the whole book. It's only four chapters. (laughs) Easy read. And here's what I know. This is where the story starts to turn. And the picture here is this. Jonah is running from God, and God is running after Jonah. Why? Because Christian, he hasn't given up on you. Even when, thank you for those five claps, even when, (laughs) even when you have forsaken God, God will not forsake us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? God's running after Jonah, and he's not running after Jonah like a high school breakup. Oh, please come back, please. I love you. I miss you. Come back. That's not what God is doing. He's running after him with sovereign love. Because justice would be forget you. That's what I'd do. (laughs) You think my mission depends on Jonah? I got all kinds of prophets. See ya. Justice would be forget you. Do you want to know what grace is? Grace is, I'm coming after you. Because sin is when you and I take the initiative to go our own way. Grace is when God takes the initiative to stop us in our way. And God loves us so much that he will. And sometimes he has to send a storm to get our attention. Anybody stubborn or is it just me? I mean, seriously, some of us would say, couldn't God just come to Jonah in a little softer way? And my response is this. He kind of did in verse 1. And maybe I'm the only one in the room like Jonah, but he didn't listen So God loves him so much, he's going to wake him up in his rebellion. In other words, sometimes you got to break him to save him. I I think about it this way, like, and this is a very difficult illustration for me, but it's like my youngest daughter. She's four, Ashlyn. She's never met a danger that she doesn't like. I mean, seriously, she, that girl, that girl eats destruction for breakfast, all right? And I think about, I think about Ashlyn running towards Highway 42 at about 5 o'clock. And what I don't do is I don't say, Ashlyn, would you stop? Come back, sweetheart. What I do is I run after her and I grab her arm as hard as I can. And I yank her back from the road. And I dislocate her arm. She looks at me and she says, How could you? You hurt me! 
Don't you see the pain I'm in? But I say, sweetheart, I love you so much, I will interrupt your running to save your life. And God will interrupt your career, your health, your reputation, your comfort, whatever it takes to keep you from running. Why? Because the pain of God's grace is always greater. It's always better than the pain of you continuing to run. God shows his grace not in a soft, cozy blanket, but a storm showing Jonah, I pursue my runaways. But also this storm shows us that God disciplines his children. And you say, where are you getting this from? I take it from the fact that Jonah belongs to God. He's a part of the covenant people of God. And here's what you need to know. You need to know this. God isn't punishing Jonah. If he wanted to punish Jonah, that would be death. And read the book, God has plenty of opportunities to get rid of him. But he doesn't. He's going to discipline him. Parents, do you know the difference, don't you, between punishment and discipline? When you're trying to teach and correct. It's not painless, is it? But it's a good thing. Here's how Hebrews Talks about it in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Now engage with this. You need to hear this. You're not going to understand how God works in your life if you don't understand this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Why? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if God doesn't discipline you, he doesn't love you. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our what? Good. That we may share his holiness and for the moment all discipline seems painful. Amen? Rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Or let me invite Mr. Charles Spurgeon to come in here with one sentence quote and summarize it this way. Here it is. God doesn't let his children sin successfully. And if you don't understand that you have a God who loves you so much, he will discipline you when you're out of bounds. You don't understand his love. You don't even understand how he's working in your life. You need to see this as the love and grace of God because sometimes you got to break them to save them. Here's the third kind of glimmer of grace in this storm. You ever just see little glimmers in a storm? Here's the glimmers of grace. Here's the third one. And it's that God prepares his servants. You say, where are you getting that in the text? I'm glad you keep asking that question. It keeps me accountable. I'm not pulling these out of thin air. I'm taking this from the reason why Jonah is running. Come on, come on, come on. Right here, right here, right here. Why is he running? Because he hates the grace of God. He does not want Nineveh to experience 
grace. So what's God going to do? Give him a fresh taste of grace. Jonah isn't prepared for the mission. So God's going to get him ready. Because after all, how do you go tell people about grace if you're not living in it? Come on, that needed like 20 amens, all right? I mean, how, can you, how, how do you do that? Jonah's all, no, God's going to bring him low. Let him learn grace again so that he will be prepared for the mission of God. Think of it this way. What God has prepared for Jonah in Nineveh is a whole lot greater than what Jonah thinks he'll get in Tarshish. But God's going to have to take him through a storm to get him there. He did the exact same thing in the life of William Carey. Some of you have heard that name, the, the, the really well-known missionary in India. William Carey, on March 11, 1812, had an event in his life that caused him to question everything. You ever had one of those? I mean, he questioned his faith, he questioned his ministry, he questioned whether or not he would stay a missionary. You see, what happened was he woke up that morning to the smell of smoke. What was central to his ministry there was a, a print shop where he could publish his works and distribute them around. That print shop had been burned. All of his translation in Indian, gone. The Old Testament and New Testament translation work, burned up. His dictionary that was his magnum opus was no longer. And he sat there in rubble. And he said, as the smoke began to clear, so was the mercy of God. Do you know why? Just a couple of printing presses remained. Christians from Britain and India started giving unlike they had ever given before, and his ministry was back up and running in two months. You know what else happened? The story of what happened in Carrie's life started to circulate as well, and his ministry reached places previously it wasn't allowed to go. And as he reflected on all that, here's what he said. Perhaps the mission was too much about self. The Lord laid me low that I would look to him. There are some of you right now. God has been preparing you for a mission that you don't even know, and he's done so through cancer. He's doing so through being a widow way too early. He's doing so through a prolonged singleness, which is the last thing you ever wanted for your life. The school rejection that you really wanted to get into. God is preparing his servants for a mission they do not even understand yet. But you have to believe. Jonah's not ready to give grace. So he's going to go back to school and learn grace. And God will get him ready for the mission.
And here's the last glimmer of grace in this storm, and that is this. God exposes sinners. Where do you get this from? Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And why did they know that? Look at this phrase. Because he told them. Uh-oh. Jonah's been found out. Everybody right here. Sometimes the storm exposes who you really are. I've been pastoring for several years now, and I will tell you, I have seen more people come to faith in Jesus Christ out of terrifying pain more than prosperity. And there are some of you in this room... God has been sending message after message in your life to say, stop running. Admit who you are. I already know. Turn from your sin and run to me by faith in Jesus Christ. I will receive you. I don't want God to bring you low, but I hope God will bring you low if it means finding the saving grace of God. By now, you should realize, dear friends, that the grace of God doesn't come in pretty pink boxes. Sometimes grace is what you learn when you think you're going to die. You're holding on for dear life. And at that moment, the grace of God is not something you learned in vacation Bible school. It's something that you learn in the darkest storms of life. Or think of it this way. How many of you can recognize this song? know it, don't you? Jesus loves me. But I want you to compare that version to this version. difference? The second one was full. Do you know why? The first one was only white keys. The second one was white keys and dark keys. The point, friends, it takes the light keys and the dark keys of life To make Jesus loves me, this I know 
sound fool. Here's how I know. Because Jonah chapter 1 is not the only storm God ever hurled. On a Friday, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness covered the face of the earth. The earth began to shake. Rocks began to split. Tombs were open. In fact, it was so massive that this giant curtain in the temple was torn in two. It was a terrifying storm. And who was behind it? A loving God, a loving Father who loved us so much He poured every wind of justice and slammed every wave of wrath that I deserved, not on a ship, but on his son. And in that moment, Jesus experienced what Jessica experienced, what Jonah experienced, that sometimes love is a painful thing. But God so loved the world, he broke him to save you. Let's pray. Oh God, God. Come, speak to us. Let us experience your overwhelming grace and love in our lives. There are some in this room who are going through that storm. It may be a giant storm. It may be a light storm, but you're there. You're there. Will they look to you? Will they be humbled before you? And stop running, whether that's with their feet or with their heart, and find grace. In Jesus' name, amen.